0: Happy Mother's Day! Yeah, no, there's really no way to respond to that. Happy Mother's Day! Happy Mother's Day to uh, uh, to my kids' mom, and uh, I guess to my mom somewhere. Happy Mother's Day to uh, to you, to ladies. Uh, this morning we celebrate not just the mothers, but the heart of a mother. Uh, So, whether you're single and you're waiting for the right one, or uh, you've been married and you don't have kids, or whatever your situation, I don't have to go through all the scenarios. Uh, We just want to say Happy Mother's Day. Um, We recognize your hustle, your hard work. We recognize um, your involvement in uh, our community at large. And so, uh, we're here, uh, and I'm with Amanda. This is Amanda. Everybody say, Hey, Amanda. I'm at a table. It's going to be hard for me to sit down. I like to move, so we'll make it. Uh, but we're here in a conversation called uh, free. Uh, so I just want to remind you that you're free. Uh, you are free where you sit. Uh, you, the person, you're free. Uh, you're free not just in general in like the, 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 the sense of like I'm an American, but you're free as a follower of Christ, that you are free, that everything that God has done through the person of Jesus was done to, to remind you that you're free. And a lot of us, we trade our freedom uh, to, uh, to, to lords and masters of our lives that aren't capable and qualified. And we've got to uh, harness that. We've got to take that back. And in John 8, 36, it says, therefore, if the Son sets you free, you really will be free. And so you need to be reminded that you're free, not just from habits and behaviors, but you are free from being controlled by anything other than God. And so uh, we've been in this conversation. We'll, we'll wrap it up next week. But this morning, what I want to do is uh, I want to talk just a little bit uh, together with Amanda about what our freedom to give looks like. That you're free, and with your freedom, you have the capacity and the potential to, to be a gift to the world around you, but you could also hold that. You don't have to give. that. That is the freedom that you have. Um, I was uh, somewhere, I think it was at Taco Bell, and I don't, I don't know why. I was there, like, why am I here? And uh, I, I go through the drive-thru, and they go, would you like to round up? And I never know what to say. Because they're like, we're going to do something with college funds. I'm like, mine? Like, who's college fund? Like, who's getting... This roundup, and I know it's like billions of dollars statistically, and so I was like, not today. I always say that every day, because I don't know, but I'm free to give or not to give. That with our lives, our time, our attention, our talent, we're free. And we walk around as free individuals. And uh, yet, what God is doing is inviting us to use that freedom to serve one another, to give and to benefit the lives of people that are beyond us. And so, uh, no one gives more than a mom. So that's just honest. Like moms, uh, like Amanda, uh, works, you know, 40, 60. I don't know what she works, but she works. And then she comes home, and she's probably tired, and then she, she gives. And my wife, I know she works a lot and uh, studies and is always doing something. And she comes home and, and gives. And moms give even when they don't want to give anymore. They're the perfect example of, of giving endlessly and tirelessly. And so today we're talking about giving. And I know it's weird in a room like this to talk about giving, but I want us to have an open, honest conversation. And so uh, this is Amanda. Amanda is a mom. That's not her primary, I guess, or maybe it's your primary role. She's a wife and a mom, and uh, and she works. And so uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your role uh, here in the community and uh, and why it is that we're sitting here.
1: Thanks. So I work for CenterPoint, which Sometimes I hesitate to stay, and maybe even more so this morning because I know some of you are here. Because We should turn
0: the air down just a notch if, while we're here yeah, just so right. we don't turn pay it you. down. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, so I work for Center Point Energy, and in that role, I'm, I'm really proud actually that I work for them, and I'm really proud of what I do because I run our corporate foundation. So I oversee all of our strategic charitable giving for the company. So I spend every single day with nonprofit and community leaders talking about the work that they're doing to improve our communities. I spend a lot of time in the world of philanthropy, in the world of giving, evaluating that, looking at what's being done, what's being good, bad, all of the things. I am also a nerd. Uh, I really like data and research, so I will try to keep that to a minimum this morning. But I wanted to start just to kind of set the table for this with a couple of statistics I came across a study that was done in 2022, and it talked about giving across America, and it, it gave this stat that 39% of givers make sacrifices to their daily lives to give to causes that they care about. So they are, are giving to nonprofits, maybe to a church, maybe to something else, but they're doing that a sacrifice. However, on the flip side of that, over the last couple years, we've seen that giving to churches has declined. And we think this th- those two things matter because, as believers, right, we were called to give, we were called to sacrifice, and we were called to give to the church and so while giving is up across the country, I think um, as believers, we also need to step up and If you look at acts two 44 and 45, it talks about how all of the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and properties and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had a need. So they were doing exactly what we saw in that study, right? They were coming together. They were sacrificing their own possessions, their own things to give and be generous to those in need. But what does that look like today and why are we spending today talking about giving? Why does this matter?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think Gen Z and Gen X and whatever generations around that has been labeled as, like, they're not generous. They're just takers, and they're just out for whatever. And, you know, people 16, 18, 20, they're, just, they're, they're stingy with their money. And, and I don't believe that's true, and your statistics kind of prove otherwise, too. It's not that they're uh, stingy. It's that they're careful where they give. And a lot of them have stopped giving in the context of a church because they've stopped believing in the church. That it's not really our goal as a church to get more people to give, but to create something that people feel like is of value and that is giving back and is making a difference. And when you create something that people believe in, giving is a natural response to that, whether it's practical or biblical. When we create an environment that people believe in, they want to invest their lives in. And we're seeing this at our church as more and more volunteers and uh, our giving does uh, giving units increase and so on and so forth. Because we want to reinstill the hope that is the church. When people lose hope in the church, you see the mega church and the pastors zip lining or, you know, the new facility that costs mega millions of dollars. It's a lot of waste. Young, gener- young people go, I don't want to give to that because there's no value. Uh, they love to give where there's green carpet. And so we keep humble uh, abodes here so that people go, this is worth investing in. And so we want to make sure that, that we're creating something that is making an impact, a positive impact. And a lot of people complain that the church at large talks about money too much. Uh, and, and I would agree. However, the messages that we receive outside of the context of the church is almost exclusively about money. You go anywhere outside of your house and you are being bombarded to spend and to give and to, uh, to buy. That we are constantly being... Uh, targeted to to purchase even inside your home with your phone like have you ever said something and then like you get an ad for it and you're like wait a second that's scary because we're constantly being sold to and so we walk into a room like this and we go uh, I don't want to talk about money and yet what I want is I want a god who doesn't leave some things out I want a god who gets involved in my life every aspect every part of my life I don't want a god who goes well I'm going to touch this and this of your life but I'm going to leave that alone. I want a God who gets into my bank account. I want a God who gets into my spending, and I want a God who uh, is actively involved in every area. And so we talk about money today, but we don't exclusively talk about, bless you, we don't exclusively talk about money. We're talking about giving. What does giving look like as we give our lives, our time, our talent, our, our, uh, our abilities, that we're free to spend our time and talent any way we like. And we do, if we're honest, and we look at our registry, like, You would think that I worship Aldi because Aldi has a big portion of my money. Uh, You would think that, you know, we worship, you know, schnooks or whatever because that gets so much of our time and our energy and our money. And if we look at our registry, we look at how we spend our lives, we realize that most of what we do and how we spend is done and spent to make ourselves happy. It just, or our kids. It just is. It's done to make ourselves happy, and we can and should live for others, and I believe that we're free to do so. And so, uh, our life should not be limited to ourselves, and the Bible reinforces that over and over when it reminds us to be generous, to live open-handed lives.
1: I've been doing a Bible study, and a couple weeks ago in the study, the, the guy made this one line that kind of stopped me in my tracks, and I grew up in church, but I don't know that I'd ever kind of heard it this way. And he said, generosity is the center of the gospel. And if you think about the fact that God gave his only son, and and he started with this ultimate example of generosity, and probably most of us across the room could quote John 3.16. But to think about the fact that, like, the heart and the middle of this is this idea of being generous. And we see this over and over through scripture of people giving up things that were precious to them. And for us, sometimes we don't want to give up our Starbucks, right? Because that's what we have been ingrained to want because we see it all around us, right? Everything is designed to say, you need more. You need a newer phone. You need newer clothes. You need a bigger house. You need a better car. You need more and more. And, and, and we're not willing to give that up. So we become greedy and we, and we think we need to prioritize other things over being generous,
0: and you were just a part of a clothing swap, which is a perfect opportunity to, uh, to give something without receiving something, or I guess you get clothes in return, yeah. I don't know. Regardless, I mean, I like things, and, and we like things, and we're looking at a vacation and, you know, replacing a car or whatever. And, and I don't think God is calling us to not have things, but I think what God does is he looks at us and he realizes that, that money and things have taken up more of our heart than, than they need to. And, and they have, they're taking up too much space. And they're obviously taking up too much of our time and energy and effort. And uh, so I believe that the only way out of greed is to push into generosity. That as we live more generous lives, we find that there's less space in our life for greed. And that gives the Holy Spirit the opportunity to come in and change our hearts. And, and generosity is, in fact, the antidote to greed. That if you want to fight greed at every front, and I know, you know, I don't know that any of us are rich. Anybody rich in the room? Like practically rich? All right. So um, most of us are just like regular folks. and, And what I realize is that we don't feel like we're greedy because we're living paycheck to paycheck. I don't feel greedy because I'm just trying to pay bills like you are. And and so I don't have the mansion and the extra cash or whatever. And so we don't feel greedy. And yet, if we look deep inside of our lives, our intention, our heart, our motivation, we find that greed likes to hide. And the the less money you have or the middle class or the special people like us uh, kind of slide in there. And we think, well, greed's not here, but it's just less prevalent. It's just less obvious. And I think the question then is, what are we generous towards? Because we're all generous towards something. Is it self-serving generosity, or are we truly uh, living generous towards, towards God? Can we actually look at our heart's motivation and recognize that, that we're doing everything we can to ensure that other people see the gospel, that other people see the love of Jesus Christ, and we can be selectively generous? I'm really good about being selectively generous. I can pick and choose how generous I really want to be, but just because we're selectively generous doesn't mean that that's not greed with a different face. It's got a different costume on it. And so I believe that God wants us free, and he wants us free from greed. He doesn't want anything to control us. He doesn't want anything uh, to have a uh, place over him. And there's a passage in Malachi. You look at Malachi 3.10. It says, uh, bring the full tithe or tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. I love the latter part of this. I'm going to pour out a blessing that's for you, and you can't even measure it. Like, that's something we can claim, right? I want that, but in order to... In order to receive this, we have to be willing to test God. That one of the ways that we find ourselves generous towards God is with our money. It just is. And the tithe is a biblical principle set up to help us thwart greed at the cellular level. That we were hardwired to be generous in our giving. That tithing is a biblical mandate. And I understand the challenges with tithing, but I also understand the blessings tied to it. And if you read in verse 11, it goes on to describe to you what those blessings actually look like. And it doesn't say, I'm going to bless you with more money. So a lot of us go, well, I'm going to tithe, then I'm going to get more money back. And I don't see the money coming back. And what the Bible is describing is things like, I'm going to keep the enemy at bay. I'm going to bless your life. That You're not going to be able to recognize necessarily that these are things coming from the Lord, but every good and perfect thing comes from heaven. And we are living lives that are blessed by God if we'll walk in this principle. And it also describes robbing God and how we short God many times by not being generous. And so I know tithing is a, an interesting uh, principle. And a lot of times in the context of a church, we take for granted the fact that we all just understand it. And yet if we don't take time to pass this, uh, this principle, this biblical mandate down to generation to generation, then we lose um, this, this, this blessing. And so for me, I was raised in the ministry. Uh, My dad was in ministry all of his life, still is. And so I'm out, you know, at 15 years old mowing grass for $30 a yard, which is a lot of work for very little money. And I I realized that three bucks is just going to the church. It's just the way it is. And so I got to mow extra yards if I want extra money, and then I get to give more money. And that's just how I lived. And when we got married, that just filtered into our lives, and that just became a natural part of um, how we view money, is, is that we are going to live on 90%. And the end goal is not to live on 90, it's to live on 60 or 50. And, and we realize when we have less money, we want to buy less things. And so as we become more generous and we free up space, we're able to do that. Uh, and I know you have a different tithing journey if you want to explain that.
1: Thinking back to my childhood, I think this verse uh, might could have been like our family motto of like test God in this. So I can think about times over and over where my mom would say, okay, we have to pray to ask God to meet this need, right? We, we didn't have a lot. We, we weren't poor by any means, but, but we sometimes struggled to, like, put food on the table or put new clothes on, and my mom would always, we would always talk about, like, God providing, but my parents were also faithful givers, and I remember my entire childhood, like, no matter what, like, they made that tithe to sacrifice to give to the church, And as I grew up, that was just the legacy they left for me, right? It was just the thing that you did, right? You gave to the church, and you gave faithfully. And so as I got older, I continued to give to the churches. When Jordan and I got married, we made that a priority in our life. And that has looked like a couple of different things. And we're talking about money right now, so we've been faithful tithers. We're going to talk about serving in a little while, but to maybe jump ahead a little bit. We've also made it a priority to give of our time and resources. And I I think um, one of the clearest pictures for Jordan and I was a couple years ago. He came home from work one day, and he was like, hey, there's this kid at work that needs a place to live. And I said, okay, we've got a spare room. And so the next day, he was sitting at our table eating spaghetti dinner with us, and he stayed for a couple months while he just needed some stability in his life. And it wasn't anything special that we did or, or or. it would have been easier to say no we had two little little kids at the time but it was just that attitude of being generous that we wanted as part of our lives and so we said yes to that we've said yes to tithing when things have been tough but that has been for us a way to be generous and and to show jesus honestly with the people around us
0: and the bible's telling us to test jesus in this like this is one of the few if not only places where god is saying test me you can test it out. You can check and see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and bless you. And, and I don't think that's why we give. And that, that slips into the prosperity gospel really quickly. And that's not what I'm advocating for by any means. I'm not saying I need God to bless me, so I better tithe. Uh, but out of a love and a compassion for God, we give. And then we find that he gives back. That The way we give to God is by giving him our money. The way that God returns is he blesses us exponentially. But it's not just money. It's time. And over the years, I've seen uh, people in, in, ministry, in, in my life, in my ministry time, who could give money more than time. So, like, giving money wasn't a big deal. They had it to give, and they would just donate generously uh, as, like, a, you would pay your Netflix bill or your, your gas bill or your electric bill. You would just, they would just pay their dues, but they couldn't give their time or wouldn't give their time. And so I've known people over the years where time was the very thing that they held hold of, but money they would give generously. Where some of us, it's the other way around. Some of us, it's neither. But the idea is that God wants to get into the inner workings of your life and find the thing that is uh, keeping you and me from fully living generous lives. And for some of us, it's the time. Like, time is really short. uh, And the older you get, everybody said that days get shorter when you get older. And I don't know if I'm older yet, but the days are getting shorter, and so I'm starting to realize that time has become more precious of a commodity, and everybody's trading time for money or money for time. I can either, you know, stain my back deck, or I can hire someone to do it. Well, if I don't have money, I'm having to give time, and it needs to be done if you're interested, but I have to give one or the other, and, and a lot of us are giving up our time to work to make more money, and so there's this interesting dynamic that, that goes with our time and our money. And God wants both. He wants to get involved in our lives. And so uh, in Matthew 25, it says, uh, For I was hungry, this is Jesus speaking. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison. You visited me. And in this passage, Jesus is describing scenarios that didn't actually transpire. In fact, everyone's looking at each other going, what is, what is he talking about? We've never had to bail him out. We've never seen him miss a meal. We're, what's, what's happening? And in Matthew 25, 34, it says, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and take you in or without clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And this passage is fascinating to me because it's describing the righteous, those that are living right, who say, Jesus, I didn't see this happen in your life. And it's a reminder to me of how hard it is to see the needs when we're not looking for them. He's describing the reality that, that Jesus, the invisible, is represented in the needy, the less. Those that are hurt, those that are uh, marginalized, those that don't have a voice, the voiceless, uh, that that there's this idea that Jesus is represented in their lives. And when we pass them by, it's as if we're passing Jesus by. And we will never see something we're not looking for. Uh, There's another passage that reinforces this. Amanda's going to read it in 1 John 3, which reminds us that, that we've got a responsibility as followers of Christ to see the needs around us and to meet those.
1: First John 3, 17 says, If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need but closes his eyes to the need, how can God's love reside in him? Think about the world that we live in today, and it, there's a lot of heart, right? We can, there's poverty and hunger and war and homelessness and loneliness and anxiety. and depra- We have all of these really hard, heavy things. And and the Bible over and over, calls followers of Christ to meet those needs, to care for those needs. And we can think about what's happening around the world, but we're all sitting here living in this community. And because of what I do every day, I see a lot of the hard and I see the people that are meeting that. But in my core I often see that the church is missing, that that the believers are not at the table. And I, I think that we have some work to do to step up and and care for the people around us because that is what this verse says. If If we see our brothers in need and we turn our eye, how can God's love be in us? And I think this starts with this simple question of like, how do you meet those needs? Do you know the needs around you? And I think sometimes... We can get a little jaded in our mind and we can be like, well, like I don't know if they're going to use this wisely or I don't know what they're going to do with my money. And I remember as a child, my mom was always the person that would stop and drop a few dollars in the homeless person's cup whenever we were anywhere. And as I got older and a little bit more cynical, I remember one time saying to her, mom, you know, they're not going to use that money for anything good. Like, don't don't do that. Like, save your money and she looked at me and she said you know what you might be right but god called me to give and so i'm going to operate out of that and i'm going to honor him in that and and i don't have to be accountable for how they spend the money but i am accountable for how i spend my money and i think that has always like resonated in my mind even as i've gotten older of like this idea that like we are called to care, and we are called to give, and but sometimes we get caught up in this justifying and evaluating and all these things, and I think we don't have to. I think the other piece of this, going back to that passage in Matthew, is it's really personal, right? Over and over and over in that passage, we see the word you, right? I was hungry. You fed me. I was homeless. You housed me. It's very personal. It's not a mandate to center point energy or to the dream center Or, you know, it is to embrace, but it is to us at Embrace as people of this community. And it's taking that initiative to do something because ultimately in doing that, we share the love of Christ. But I think sometimes we get so busy that maybe we don't know anyone like that, right? Like how do we step outside and find people to meet those needs?
0: And one of the things that I'm more aware of, and and maybe it's the Lord drawing us to, is like, what does our neighborhood look like? Like, can we get involved? I know it's not like an impoverished neighborhood, but there's a lot of older people. Like, how do we get involved? And we're looking at ways to get more involved in our communities to see the needs. But the reality is we can all choose to see what we want to see. And a lot of times we use these organizations as a default Well, I don't have to give because there's uh, the soup kitchen or there's the rescue mission or there's center point or there's, you know, someone else. And a lot of times I I will all the time get caught up and going, well, they're, you know, yeah, you're homeless, but, you know, are you really? Or there's a guy at Target that's playing the violin and he's got a stein. And I'm like, I don't, do you really play the violin? Like, I don't know if that's recorded. Like, I get cynical too, and I use it as a default to do nothing. And I'm not, the the guy's probably a nice guy, but, and he's probably talented. But the idea is that we can rationalize ourselves away from being generous, And feel righteous in the process. Well, that person's probably going to use it for drugs and alcohol, so I'm going to save him the trouble of, you know, getting all of this. And then we feel like we have the moral high ground when God is saying, you've got to give. And it's not that we just give blanket to everybody all the time. We do have to use wisdom, but we can't use Our cynicism is an excuse, and that's part of the reason we give in community. That when you give here, you're trusting that our leadership team and our finance team is using the money wisely. You're trusting that we're not aimlessly spending money, that we vet all of our missionaries, and a portion of uh, our tithes go directly to foreign missions. And and, uh, Jan, who's 90-something years old, she wouldn't mind me sharing, uh, heavily vets our missionaries. And, and works actively to make sure that we're not giving to people who don't uh, need the money. And so when you give here, you're trusting that we're doing well. When you give to an organization or you're rounding up at you know, Taco Bell, you're trusting that they're doing well with your money. And so a lot of us need to be wise and responsible, but we can't use our cynicism as an excuse Uh, to not be generous and so we do have a responsibility and the latter part of Matthew 25 and verse 40 it says and the king will answer them I assure you whatever you did for one of these brothers of mine or actually says one of the least of these brothers of mine you did for me it's just a harsh reminder a strong honest reminder that when we do for the least among us the marginalized the the voiceless we're doing for Christ And so if we were to see a figure that we would imagine to be Jesus, and I don't know what that would look like, but obviously a white guy with long hair and a robe, uh, and we we were like, that's Jesus, we wouldn't ignore that need. Uh, But because we see people and we see just the surface and we judge them based on our our, our own perception, uh, we change how we treat them. And this is a stark reminder that we've got a responsibility uh, to, to do for the least of these. And whatever you do for the least of these is done for Christ, that Christ is the invisible God making himself present in his created beings. And to love him and to serve him requires loving and serving his people, especially the least of these. And you and I would have been called stewards. We are good stewards uh, of the resources we've been given. So uh, what happens a lot of times is because uh, the paycheck that you earn has your name on it and mine, it has my name on it. Uh, I think it's mine. And so I work, I earn, and then I'm going to give a little back to God, and he should just be happy, and that's how, I, that's how a lot of us live. And a lot of us, because we start taking ownership of the money and the time and the talent that we have and develop, we start uh, being very stingy with it. But if we'll look at our lives very differently, the only reason you can earn an income is because of the grace of God. The breath in your lungs, the the drive and the determination, the passion that he's given you, the fuel and the motivation to move forward. Everything that we have is from God. And so we are then stewards. And if we're wise stewards, uh, then we realize that we uh, don't own anything, but we are going to use and leverage what God has given us to make the most. And whether that's uh, benefiting our children and our communities and our churches, then then we begin to see our lives very different. But a lot of us want to take ownership, and really we're just caretakers. You're a caretaker of the resources that you have. And a good caretaker is is also generous. And and that's what we present to God when we present him with our lives, our time, our money, our talent. We present him um, uh, with the things that he's trusted us with.
1: And in that, God has called us to give and give abundantly. But as we've seen throughout, like he also promises to provide when we give. And I don't think that maybe always looks like the way that we think, right? Sometimes he provides joy or he provides friendship or he provides something tangible even. But we were called to give abundantly. And I think to what David just said, like we sometimes think this is ours. But if we think about the God who promises to take care of the lilies of the field and the sparrows of the sky, like that God who promises to care for the flowers that we mow over and and the birds that – end up like getting eaten by cats and live in your hallway for a little while. Um, He (laughs) cares even more about you, right? He cares about your life. He also cares about the way that we live because we are the, the tool that he's used to share Jesus with the world. And so one of the things about being generous is like when we are generous, we share the heart and the love of God with the people around us, right? What if, like, we're the vehicle to eliminate poverty. Like, what if we are the people called to eliminate homelessness in the city? And what if we're not doing that because we're not being generous with our time and being generous with our finances? And I think, you know, we've talked a lot about giving to the church. We've talked a lot about giving to organizations, but I think the other piece of this is knowing the people in your circle and knowing the needs around you, do you know your neighbors, right? Do you know the people that live near you? Do you know the person sitting next to you this morning? Like, I guarantee you there are needs in this room that many of us probably don't know anything about. And yet, when we spend time in community, when we spend time in our with our neighbors, like, we see the needs around us, and we're better equipped than to meet them, and we're better equipped to step out and be generous. And when we do that, man, we show the love of Christ and that's what this world needs, right? Like we get some not great press for not being very loving sometimes as the church or as believers. But when we're generous and when we give abundantly, you can't deny that, right? You can't you can't look at that and say, "Oh, those people don't care," right? Like we do. We care deeply and we show Jesus through that and so I think like as we wrap up and we give you some things to do like I really want for us to all think about that question like who's your neighbor like who who in your life needs community like what what do they need do they need a meal do they need a gift card do they need gas in their car do they need their mow lawn mode what what do they need and what do we need as a church and what can we do over the next couple of months to be more generous.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of us go, well, yeah, we got to eliminate poverty and homelessness. And that feels uh, really noble, but it's also a really large sort of scale thing. And it's not that, the, that we can't do that as the church, uh, but a lot of us use that as an excuse to do nothing. It's like, yeah, we want to end global poverty, but can you mow your neighbor's yard? Yeah, we want to end you know, homelessness in the city, but can you just you know, take care of somebody, get some groceries for somebody next door? Like, we want to do all these big things because they require very little of us because we can't actually accomplish it. But what about just the simple thing? and uh, the principle of the Kaizen way where it's like, can you just start small? Like, if you wanted to lose weight, you wouldn't just, like, stop eating. You would maybe eat a little less, right? So if you wanted to change the way you live, instead of going, well, I want to be generous, so I'm just going to give everything that I own away, like, don't do that, but, but maybe we start small. Maybe we start looking at the, the more minute ways that we can begin to curve our behavior and curve our mindset. Because uh, when I go out, I'm like, okay, what am I going to buy? How can I buy? How much is it? What's it going to cost? I'm not thinking, is this sustainable? Is this going to bring joy long time, long term? Uh, you know, we can go down the road and eat a meal at Hacienda, a couple of tacos that are okay, and, and some chips and salsa that's just decent, and I usually get water, but maybe you get a tea, and it's like, you're in 20 bucks, and it's like, how long is that meal going to last you? If that was your last meal, you've got a couple of days before you need another, and a lot of us don't think long-term, like, what are we giving into, and how is it giving back to us, and what I've noticed is that generosity always has a return, Like, I've never regretted being generous. I've regretted things I've purchased. I've regretted meals that I've had. But I've never regretted generosity. I've never looked back and been, man, I really wish I had not have done that. And I feel like we've got to look at our lives very differently, where we start to look at a return on investments, right? Um, where God has promised to bless us exponentially beyond measure if we'll just be generous. And so there's a couple of things that practically I want to leave you with that I want to challenge you to do. I'm challenged myself with. Uh, Amanda's challenged. Our family is, is, is challenged with this over the next few months. I want, to, I want to encourage you to look at your tithing. What does that look like? Um, As the pastor here, I don't see tithing. I don't see who's giving what. Uh, I couldn't tell you if one person gives everything or none of you give and money just shows up magically. I don't see it. and I don't want to see it um, because it's between you and God. That is between you and God. And so uh, just look deeply at your finances and what you give. In Deuteronomy, it says you shall tithe all the uh, yield of your seed, the tenth of the yield, uh, into the field year by year. It's reminding us that there's a tenth, ten percent, and ten percent is obedience, Above 10% is an offering. So we'll receive certain offerings. There are people in the community that are needing money. That's above your tithe. Tithing goes to the storehouse. This is our storehouse. Uh, It's here so that there's enough for everyone in need. So if someone needs something, we're able to provide that. And so uh, money comes in where you're fed. So if you're fed from a tele-evangelist that's your storehouse, then you can send your money that direction. But if this is the place that you're fed, then this is where your money goes and your heart goes and not in that order. Um, So I encourage you to look. One of the things I like about year-end statements and six-month statements from the church is that we can evaluate. I can look and go, was I generous? How generous? Do I need to adjust? Um, Our income changes here and there with different things. It's like, am I adjusting my giving with my income? Uh, And am I being obedient? And I think the place to start is 1%. If you've never given in, in tithe, 1% is the place to start, uh, 2%, 3%, and try to work into full generosity, but know that God honors the sacrifice. God meets you where you are, and he desires to bless you exponentially. But I need you to know that God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. So if you're in the room, you're watching online, podcasts, whatever, and you're going, oh, you just want my money, David. we got to increase the finances here. I don't care anything about money here. I'll be honest. I really don't. And the people in the leadership, they know I don't care anything about money. Uh, God will always provide. What I care about is the human heart. I care about our uh, our mindset. And I think money takes up too much of our space. And so God wants to free that. Um, And so it's in the context of the sacrifice that, that God does some of his best work. Second thing I want to encourage you to do over the next three months is I want you to give something to someone who can never say thank you. Just do something for someone or give something to someone. You don't have to buy it. You don't have to purchase it, but just find some way to bless someone else to do something that's sacrificial for you that that the other person either it's anonymous or they just could never repay you because so much of our giving is transactional. I'll do for you if you'll do for me. I'll give to you if you'll give for me that it's nice to just do something for someone to get nothing in return, not credit, not praise, uh, not accolades, just do something at some point. And then the third thing is to give some of your time. Uh, sacrifice some of your time uh, over the next few months to just give to somebody whether that's you know someone in need whether that's visiting a nursing home or cutting someone's grass just do something for someone that takes your time because that time is valuable to so many of us. And so we're just inviting uh, you to go with us in this journey of looking at our lives to live more free, uh, free from things, free from possessions, free from money consuming so much of our lives that uh, God has to kind of fit his way in. Uh, and that's what I want for us moving forward long-term is I want us to be generous um, human beings as the way God's called us to be. So would you mind closing us in prayer?
1: Sure, that's great. Dear Jesus, thank you for the fact that you created us uh, to be your hands and feet in the world. God, you gave us um, this unique opportunity to share your love through being generous, through meeting needs um, physically and emotionally spiritually. God, you have called us to be the vehicle through which you share your son. And you could have done it a hundred different ways, but you chose us, God. And help us to not take that lightly. God, help us to uh, offer up the next three months of our lives as an opportunity to be exceedingly and abundantly generous. God, in whatever ways that looks like for us, help us to
0: uh, lead with generosity. In your name, amen.